go before the Lord with a word of prayer. Father, we just love you. We thank you. I thank you for these men and women that you have brought here tonight. And I just pray that as we go through your word, that you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, you are our teacher. You are the one that loves us and knows us so intimately. And so I just pray that the words would jump off the page tonight and speak to our hearts. I thank you for each person that you've brought here tonight. Lord, just refresh them with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are making our way through the book of First and then eventually Second Samuel. And remember, First and Second Samuel are about three key leaders. We learn first about who? Samuel, it should be even up on the screen, cheaters. Samuel, first of all, Samuel, who the book is named after, the, a prophet of Israel, and at the same time, one of the last judges, or the last judge of the nation of Israel. We saw his parents, and how godly they were, and the crazy world he grew up in, and yet he learned to serve and seek the Lord, and he will be huge in the spiritual history of the nation of Israel. And then, Two weeks ago, we were introduced to the second key figure in this book, and that is who? King Saul. Yes, also on the screen. King Saul. And King Saul, the first king over Israel, the people cried out, we want a king, we want a king. And God said, really? Do you know what it's going to be like? He's going to take, 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 and you're going to cry out that I'll take him away more than you cried to have him in the first place. And yet the people still cried out, no, 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 we want a king. Well, they got one, King Saul. And though he starts out great, He starts out very humble. He starts out loving towards the people. That lasts a whopping two years. (laughs) Two years. He made it to the midterm elections. But there was no elections. They were stuck with his cat for another 38 years of misery. And we continue that story tonight. But tonight, we meet the third and final character of the book of Samuel, who will be the hero, really, for the rest of this book and into 2 Samuel. And that is our friend David, who will become eventually the, the second king over Israel after many years of serving in Saul's court and eventually being chased around the country by Saul. Eventually, he will become king. But right now, we see him living in the court of Saul. And if you're taking notes tonight, which I always believe if there's something of note to be said, you might want to write it down to remember it. But hey, if you forgot a pen, that's okay. Get one and uh, bring it with you next time. But if you'll see up on the screen there, we're going to go over four things about David in Saul's court. We're going to see David's anointing that Pastor Rob shared with us on a Sunday morning already. And then we'll see David's adversaries, the guys he had to go up against and fight. David's protection in 1 Samuel 19 and David's stone of direction, the stone of Ezel in chapter 20. So let's look at those one at a time, starting with chapter 16, and we'll see again David's anointing. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you will, you will do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said, and he went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me and to the sacrifice. And 
then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was, verse 6, when they came, they looked at Elib, and he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, no, 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 no. Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, for I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, neither is the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither is the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And then he said, Oh, uh, yeah, I do have one other son. How sad. There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And so he sent and brought him in, and now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with the hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. And then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. He's good looking. And the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey, loaded it with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Then Saul said to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for now he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, David would take a harp and play it with his hand, and Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Here we have the story of David's anointing. As I said before, if you missed it, Pastor Rob covered this in detail on our last weekend services. So you can get those for free online. I highly recommend it. But understand, most Bible scholars believe we have skipped a lot of time since chapter 15. If you can remember seven days ago, if you're with us in that study, I I can't remember seven days ago, but if you can, think back seven days ago in chapter 15, God was giving one last chance to Saul. He says, I want you to kill all the Amalekites. Get rid of every single one of them. And we saw why. Because God knew an Amalekite was eventually going to kill Saul. But, but Saul, did he obey? No. He just kind of sort of obeyed. He killed most of the Amalekites, but kept the best of the sheep and the best of the, you know, just, just, just sort of obeyed. And so God said, I'm through with you, Saul. I'm through with you. You will not obey me. I'm going to look for a man after my own heart. And as chapter 16 opens, we see the story of God anointing David. But please understand, a lot of time has passed. A lot of time. As chapter 16 opens, it it seems to have the same vibe, but a lot of time has passed. Saul, again, is going to reign for 40 years, according to Acts chapter 13, verse 21. The first two years of Saul's reign are recorded in chapters 9 through 12. 
Now, we're not certain how long of a period chapters 13 through 15 cover, but as you read the story, it seems to be a relatively short period of time. But by the time we get to chapter 16, about 15 years are going to be left for Saul to be king. Meaning, if you do the addition, which I know it's late, it's a Wednesday, why would you do that? But if you do the addition, that means at least 20 years have passed since the end of chapter 15. Since God said, I'm through with you, and Saul went away, and Samuel went away, at least 20 years of history has passed. Now the question is, what happened? What happened during those 20 years? What was going on in the nation of Israel? And the answer, a whole lot of nothing. Because that's always the case when we are living in carnality. We saw the same thing, if you remember, when we were in the book of Numbers. That that the nation of Israel, freed from Egypt, heading toward the promised land. So much of that book is an 11-day period of time. But then they get to Kadesh Barnea. And what do they do? They say, we don't want to trust you, God. We don't want to enter into the land that you've given us. We, We don't want to do this. We don't trust that you can bring us in. And God says, I'm done with this generation. They are going to die in the wilderness. And we have a couple of chapters. We have the story of the rebellion of Korah. We have Aaron's rod that budded. And then suddenly we're in the second generation. Suddenly, only Moses, Joshua, and Caleb are alive from that original generations because why? 38 years were just poof, gone. What happened? They were wandering around in carnality. Listen to me, friends. Listen to me. All of us want our lives to be meaningful, right? We do. We do. I mean, I will never forget when my mom took me to the beach when I was a child, and I, I spent all day building this sandcastle, and it was a cool one. I mean, it had a moat, water would come in, water would go out, and I was so impressed with my sand architecture. And the next day, I wanted to go back and see it. And she explained to me, oh, baby, it's gone. What do you mean it's gone? I worked for hours. I burnt my back. doing. That. What do you mean it's gone? She, well, the tide goes in, the tide goes in. Are you kidding me? And from then on, I haven't liked the beach. From then on, I cannot believe that that, what a waste of time. And listen, don't you not want to have your life be that way? I don't want to invest years just to have it be whittled away. Well, that's what carnality leads you. Doesn't mean God stops loving you. Doesn't mean that your salvation is in question. But those years will just be wasted away. When chapter 16 opens up, it's like 20 years has been wasted of Saul's life. And now it's only important because of his interaction with who will be the next king of Israel, King David. And so God asked Samuel, how long will you mourn for King Saul? I've moved on, Samuel. 20 years has passed, Samuel. It just shows the love that the prophet had for, for Saul. He wanted it to work out well for Saul. 20 years later, he's still upset that it didn't work out good for King Saul. And God says, when are you going to stop mourning? I have called somebody else. Take a horn full of oil. Go to Bethlehem. It's time to anoint a new king. And Samuel, he's a practical guy. Saul hears, I'm anointing a new king. He's still alive and well. (laughs) It'll be curtains for me. And God says, well, also have a feast. Also have a feast. Have a feast, go there, and then anoint a new king over Israel. And I love it. Pastor Rob pointed this out on the weekend. As the prophet shows up, the people want to know, are you here to judge us? Because why? They knew 20 years previously. (laughs) Samuel's there in front of King Agag and he hacks him to pieces. They want to know, are you here peaceably or or, or are you here to hack someone to pieces? And we understand. I mean, just, you know, the big cheese shows up. It's kind of like being called into the principal's office. Like those memories come back when we're kids. You've all experienced it, right? 
I mean, I, I, even here. And, and believe me, he is not this way anymore at all, at all, at all, at all, at all. But when I was a youth pastor here, I remember Pastor Rob telling me, if I don't say anything to you, that means you're doing a good job. But if I call you into my office, then you're in trouble. Now, he's completely different. That was years ago when I was the youth pastor here. So he's, I mean, he is, I mean, it's awesome. He takes the guys out. But listen, that's still in my mind. It's still in my mind. So when he says to me, come to my office, my heart starts. And I think I'm like kind of also in, like I shouldn't have those feelings, but I do. I started, and my office is right across from his. So I get called in there all the time. I'm always nervous. That's why I talk so fast on Wednesday nights. No, just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding. But listen, just, but we all know what that's like. And that's the people. They're like, oh, prophet's here, prophet's here. And Samus is just having a feast. Oh, yay, awesome. It's a good talk. All right, here we go. And so they bring him in, and Samuel knows it's time to anoint a new king. And so he has Jesse bring all of his sons. And the first one, Eliab, man, kind of like a knockoff of Saul. He's a tall, good-looking guy. And Samuel thinks, okay, that's a good replacement. Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord says, Samuel, didn't you learn your lesson the first time? I told you not to trust tall people. No, that's not, that's, not, that's not what the lesson is. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, Samuel, you're looking on the outside. Samuel, you're looking at the things that I'm looking at the heart. I'm looking at the heart. I'm looking at what's inside, Samuel. That's what you need to understand. And so he goes through all of his sons, and finally the, the runt of the litter, he pulls out of the sheepfold, and he says... He says to him, he anoints David king over Israel. He anoints David to be the king. And we, we don't know if the brothers really fully understood what was going on at that moment, but we do know the spirit of the Lord came upon David and stayed with him for the rest of his days. We also know, verse 14, at the same moment, the spirit of God left King Saul and was replaced by a distressing spirit from the Lord. Now that phrase has caused some confusion, but I think the book of Job gives us some insight. That distressing spirit wasn't from God. It was allowed by God or simply by the fact that Saul really had no interest to walk with God or in the power of the spirit. And listen, if we don't want to be led by the spirit, you're going to be led by something. Something is going to control and direct your life. And for Saul, it became this distressing spirit. And the distressing spirit caused Saul's men to look for a man who could play music in the presence of Saul because they noticed when the worship music was played, Saul seemed to get better or at least he wasn't oppressed. Now this is a crazy thing to consider. That our enemy, please hear me on this, our enemy for some reason seems to not be like, doesn't want to be around worship. Maybe because he used to be the worship leader in heaven and it reminds him of his former job. But something happens when we extol the Lord, there's something in the enemy that he doesn't like to be around. And we see this in our story. We see this. Did you see that on the news a couple weeks ago or just this week where this young boy from Atlanta was kidnapped in his driveway? We got his picture up there. But this young boy was kidnapped right out of his front, front driveway. And the kidnappers drove him around for three hours. And for three hours, all he did was sing worship songs in the back seat. And after three hours, they just pulled over and dropped him off without harming him. I mean, other than the fact he was probably scared to death. But they didn't touch him, didn't hurt him, didn't harm him after he just sang worship in the back of the car for three hours. 
I heard that story and I was like, amazing. You know, when I'm in my, the car with my kids and they're like, Lego this and Ninjago this and, and cartoons this. and other, I'm just like, if you ever get kidnapped, do exactly what you're doing right now. Just keep yapping and eventually they'll pull over and be like, eh, it's okay, it's okay. But I have a new strategy now, a new strategy. Instead of yapping about Legos, sing worship because <laughs> there's something about the enemy that is affected by the worship of Jesus Christ And listen, more than just an extreme event like that kid in Atlanta, I don't know how many times I've been distressed by the enemy only to put on some worship music and the Lord just changes things. Not always the circumstance. Hear me on this. Not always the circumstance. A lot of times the circumstance remains exactly the same, but there's a peace that passes understanding that the distressing spirit of the enemy just seems to flee. I hope you have a huge chunk of your iPod, CD collection. You still with tapes? Anyways, whatever it is. Whatever it is. You're still rocking the vinyl. Whatever it is. I hope a huge portion of that is dedicated to worship music. Again, you don't have to be extreme like me and only listen to worship and only listen to Christian music. But there's something happens when we worship. There's something that happens when I praise the Lord. I believe the spirit of God just flows and the spirit of the enemy is hindered. So we see that in David's anointing. Secondly, we see David's adversaries. David's adversary. Now, the first adversary David is going to face is good old Goliath. And we're actually going to cover this story in detail on Sunday morning. We're going to read the whole thing. We're going to talk about the parallels in our lives. But for tonight, understand that once again, the national foe of the Israelites are the Philistines. But this time in chapter 17 that we'll study in its entirety on Sunday or Saturday night, the battle's a little different. This time, they're having a representative come out to represent each side. And that sounds a little strange to us, but it was common in the Near East ancient culture, especially after years of fighting with one another and great casualties. They were kind of smart. They said, hey, we'll have our guy fight your guy and whatever we're disputing over, whether it's a land dispute, whether it's you know a territory that we're arguing about or some guy, some POW, whatever it is, we'll go ahead and have one guy fight one guy. Whoever dies, the other side just gives in. It's a good way to end a dispute, a good way to end a battle. So the Philistines say, that's what we want to do. And their man, oh, their man was a guy by the name of Goliath. Now, the Bible describes him as a giant. But listen, some people, when the Bible, they, they hear the Bible say stuff like that, and they, they roll their eyes, oh, a giant, because they're picturing in their mind, you know, some 30-foot-tall monster that has to bend down and you know, into your second story window, you know, fee, fi, fo, fum. And, and they read that and just go, they go, how can you trust the Bible? I mean, we've never found a skeleton of a 30 foot tall man. That, 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 this, this is just fairy tale stuff. And I would get that if that's what the Bible was saying. That's not what the Bible's saying. The Bible describes his height as nine and a half cubits. Now, when you figure out a cubit, that puts him at nine foot six. Now listen, I know that's still huge, but that is in the realm of humans even around that, that height that are alive today. The, the, the Guinness Book of World Records says the tallest man that has lived since records have been kept was 10 foot 6. 
So that dude had a foot on Goliath, where we have his skeleton. We have the, 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 the verification of it. The tallest person alive today is Sultan Kozin, who is eight foot three. And I think we have a picture of him there. Yeah. So he's about my height. He's eight foot three. So he was no mythical beast, Goliath, but he was enormous. He was enormous. On Sunday, we'll get into his armor. And I mean, he, he was not just tall and lanky. He was huge and buff. Now, on the other side of the valley, you had King Saul losing his mind. Why? Why? Remember, he's the tallest guy in Israel. Remember that from a couple weeks ago? Remember all the tall guy jokes? Yeah. He was at least a head taller than everybody else. The Jewish Talmud records that Saul was seven foot tall. Now, we don't know if that's true or not. That's an extra biblical source. But just think about it. Everybody's going, you're the obvious choice, bro. You're the obvious choice. If someone's going to go fight that nine foot six guy, it's going to be the one seven footer in Israel. So go get him, king. This is why we wanted you. Go out there and face that guy for us. No doubt that's what they were thinking and Saul says no way and he's offering all these incentives and we'll look at that this weekend but you just contrast that with David David says what'll be given to the man faces Goliath he gets to be the king's son-in-law he gets to be exempt from taxes how dare this uncircumcised Philistine come against the living God and he volunteers I'll go I'll do it. I'll do it, God. Why did David have that kind of faith? Number one, I think because he he drew on his past victories with God. He goes before Saul, and Saul says to him, we'll see it on Sunday. He goes, you you can't fight Goliath. <laughs> Listen, kid, I appreciate the gusto, but you're you're a kid. David is between 15 and 17. He's like, you're a kid. This guy has been killing people since he was a kid. That you can't go out to battle. And David says, excuse me. When I used to keep my father's sheep. I love that line. That's what he did that morning. But he's like, I got a new job now. Giant killer. I used to keep my dad's sheep. And when I used to keep him, he goes, I had a lion come at me and try to take the sheep. And I love his description. I took that lion by the beard and just, bomb, bomb. that's craziness right there. Because you got to think this is years before. So that means... That means David is a junior higher at the time. Listen, if I had killed a lion when I was in junior high, that wouldn't be a story I occasionally talked about. That would be every Wednesday night. Every Wednesday night, I'd be like, hey, did you hear about the lion I killed? It would work its way into every single Bible study I've ever taught. That is an enormous event in somebody's life. And, and, and oh yeah, and a bear. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 just a bear. But listen, again, again, again. This was, this was a miracle of God that he faced these two things. He's a junior higher. No doubt when David saw that lion coming, it was a chance for him to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you in an impossible circumstance. No 12-year-old is fighting a lion. God had to fight that battle too. No 12-year-old takes down a bear. It was God that had to fight that battle. And David had to remember, God, God, you've got a plan for my life. That crazy prophet Samuel poured that oil on my head, said, you're going to make me the king someday. I'm going to trust you with this impossible situation. And listen, every one of those were getting David ready for something. For the impossible battle against the Philistine in the Valley of Elah. You see, God walks you through things in your life that there's no answer to. 
And sometimes we think God is being unkind. Sometimes we think God is being uncaring in your life. But it's actually the opposite that is true. He loves you enough to prepare you for what he knows is coming later in your life. You say, well, I've never had to fight a lion. And you've never had to fight Goliath. You see, God wasn't preparing you for that. God was preparing David. But God has prepared you for things. I I remember when I uh, took over the high school ministry from Scott Cunningham. Scott Cunningham is an amazing human being. I mean, just an amazing worship leader. He was an excellent high school pastor. And I will never forget the day he announced to our youth group he was leaving and going to Costa Mesa. Like, he said that, and kids started wailing out loud. 15-year-old boys were like, no, Scott! And I'm in the back, like, I'm the replacement. You know, just, here I am. Nice to see you. And kids are like, no, no. And I remember, I, I don't know if it was... Um, if it was <laughs> Rachel, then Cottage, now Urbina, or, or Rebecca, now McKay, or Lindsay, now O'Keefe. But one of those three girls walks up to me and says, you know, just bawling, it's not that we don't like you, it's just we love Scott. You know, I was like, okay, this is going to be fun. And, and listen, I, I learned so many things taking over for that guy. And I didn't know why, but five years later, I would find myself in Texas. And that church, even before the Reynolds showed up, man, it was Trinity Bible Church. And they loved their pastor that had left. And I had to deal with some things with people that loved their pastor that left them. And it was through those times of learning to deal with taking over for Scott. And I was like, then the light bulb went on. Oh, you, you do know what you're doing. You have thought this through. He, of course he has. But wise is the man and wise is the woman that leans on those things. That's why Pastor Rob and I are always encouraging you to have a journal. We write down what God's doing in your life. Write down what you're praying through. Write down what you're learning. Because later, those things will become critical to walking with God with success. David was able to lean on the past faithfulness of God. And just like Jonathan, he counted God for a whole lot. That's why when Goliath's yelling his insults, David comes out with a stick. <laughs> and Goliath's like, am I a dog? Am I supposed to go catch that stick? Like, what are you doing? And he says, I'm going to feed you to birds. Like, I mean, just imagine this massive man. And I love, oh, I love David. David says, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the living God whom you have defied. I just bet God was in heaven going, woo it's on, baby, it's on. <laughs> and it was, man, J- Goliath, David runs at him. I don't think Goliath had ever seen anybody run at him in his entire life. I mean, think that through. He'd probably seen everybody run from him, you know, and hide. And here's this little kid, just, yeah, yeah, here we go. And that stone, that stone, listen, it didn't matter where David threw that stone. The Lord was going to boom right into Goliath's head. That thing could have bounced off the ground. It could have went up and come down from heaven. It doesn't matter. That was going right in his head. And I can just see Goliath going, what is going on here? Nothing like this has ever entered my mind before. (laughs) Anyways, so man, stone sinks in. Goliath is dead. And this weekend, this weekend, We're going to get in and draw the parallels to this story of how we can have victory over the giants in our lives. And even more than that, 
the deeper illustration of this story of what Jesus has done for us and what our response should be. I hope, I hope, I hope you can be with us. But let's go to chapter 18 and see Saul's adversaries just continue. Oh, by the way, at the end of chapter 17, I do want to point this out because we won't cover this this weekend. At the end of chapter 17, verse 55, this is after the battle, David has now killed Goliath, verse 55 of chapter 17, when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of his army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I don't know. And the king said, inquire whose son this youth, this young man is. And then David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, and Abner took him and brought him before Saul, and and the head of the Philistine was in his hand. (laughs) just... Anyways, and, and, and Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And so David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Now, some people have been kind of confused by that. Because in chapter 16, remember, Saul has a distressing spirit, and they hire who? David, to come play the harp in his bedroom. <laughs> and the distressing spirit leaves. And now here in chapter 17, which happens after chapter 16, how in the world does he not know who David is? Well, understand, listen, He's not asking who David is. He asks Abner, whose son is he? What family he comes from? He's the king of Israel. You say, well, he should have known who his worship leaders fit. Come on. He didn't, he didn't have time to know who the son, who the father was. And remember, he had promised that whoever kills Goliath, this nine foot six giant, his family would be free from taxes. He would be married into Saul's family. So Saul wants to know who gets the free ride and what family is being joined with the king's family. That's why this conversation takes place, not because Saul does not know who David is. But this joining of the family of Saul brings us to David's next great adversary because the giant Goliath would be nothing compared to the giant problem King Saul in David's life. The battle with Goliath lasted a few minutes. David will battle Saul for the next 15 years of his life. And we see the beginning of that problem in chapter 18. Look at it with me. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as he loved his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. And Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. And so David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And now it happened when they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and joy and musical instruments. And so the woman sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands. But he loved that line until the next line. And David his tens of thousands. And Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. And they said, they've ascribed to David tens of thousands. And to me, they've only described thousands. Now what more can they have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it happened on the next day when the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, he prophesied inside his house and David played music with his hand and other times. And there was the spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear for he said, 
said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand and went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, here is my older daughter, Mirab. I will give her to you as wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So David said to Saul, who am I? That, what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be the son-in-law of the king? But it happened at the time when Mirab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, the Methanite, as wife instead, because Saul just has problems. Verse 20, now Michal, Saul's daughter, you got to say it that way. You can't say Michael, because if you say Michael, it sounds like David married a dude, and he did not. So Michal, you got to say it with the Hebrew accent, Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David and told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul said, I will give her to him, that she may be a snare to him. <laughs> he knew his daughter. And that would be the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law today. And Saul commanded his servant, communicate with David secretly, and uh, say to him, look, the king is delighting you, and all the servants love you. Now therefore, become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servant spoke these words in the hearing of David, and David said, does it seem to you a light thing to be the king's son-in-law? See, I'm poor and lightly esteemed man. And the servants of Saul told him, saying, in this manner, David spoke. And Saul said, thus you shall say to David, the king does not desire any dowry, but 100 foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired. Therefore David arose and went, he and his men, and killed 200 men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, kind of gross, and gave them all in full count to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. And then Saul gave him Machel, his daughter, as wife. Thus Saul saw and knew the Lord was with David and that Machel, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David, so Saul became David. David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went to war, and so it was, whenever they went out, that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so his name became highly esteemed. In contrast to the love and affection of Jonathan, who was significantly older than David, by the way. Again, he's probably about 20 years older than David. But David, when, when, when Jonathan saw that young guy, David, running at that Philistine, man, his heart was knit. He said, I don't know what I did. My armor bearer and I took that hill. There's a guy after my heart. We have the same heart. And so they became friends. And that's amazing when you have someone in your life, even an older person in your life, that can pour into you and love on you and direct you the right way. Such an important thing that all of us need in our lives. But you contrast that with David. Saul was not a fan of David. Due to Saul's great insecurity that we looked at last week, Saul's afraid. Saul's envious of David. One, because of the song that had been floating around the country at that time. They come back from battle and the girls are happy. I mean, you can imagine back in this day that if, if they would lose that battle, it would be a bad thing for the women back home. So when they saw their men returning instead of the Philistine men with a weird look on their face, they were excited. So they're, they're singing songs and they, oh, Saul has slain his thousands. And I just picture him walking in. Boy, these girls know how to write a song. That's right. They're recognizing what a warrior I am. 
And David, his tens of thousands. What? He didn't like that. He didn't like that at all. Again, just like with his son last week, instead of saying, I'm so glad that I have guys like Jonathan and David on my team. Nope. Saul took credit for Jonathan's deeds. And when he can't for David, he just despises him. The other reason there's a problem between Saul and David is because the spirit of the Lord that was once on Saul has now left him and was on David. And the next time this distressing spirit comes upon Saul, he begins to prophesy, which only means to be controlled, led, and speaking by the spirit. See, you can be either controlled, influenced, speaking by the Holy Spirit in your life, or you can be controlled, led, directed by other spirits, evil spirits, distressing spirits. My son asked the other night, why do they sell beer and spirits at that store? Hmm, Good question, son. Good question. He said, why do they call it that? Out of the mouth of babes. But anyways, the distressing spirit comes upon Saul and David starts playing music for him and Saul, under the influence of the spirit, tries to spear David to the wall. Now this little vignette speaks volumes to me again about the man that David was. First of all, David, the most successful general Saul has, is still willing to sit in the crazy man's bedroom and play music for him. Are you kidding me? I mean, think that through with me practically. You are the leading general of the army. And you still have to come when Saul's in his PJs and serve him milk and cookies and play him a bedtime story. Are you, is there no one else in the kingdom that can play a harp? That's what I would be thinking. But what does David do? He just serves. He just serves. Then if that wasn't bad enough, Saul attacks him while he's serving. Saul throws a spear at his head, and of course, Saul misses. At that moment, you know David's got a choice, right? He's the guy that killed 10,000s. Do you don't think David could have went, who are you? (laughs) You're a bad shot is what you are. Whoosh, (laughs) and it would have been done. This dude took down a nine-foot-sick guy with a rock, with a big old spear. Saul would have been toast that night again, except for the fact that David was different. He was different. Saul was a man that walked around with spears in his hand, always looking for someone to justifiably throw it at. David was a man that walked around with a harp, a man of worship, a man of blessing. And I, I pray you hear me on that, church family. Because you've got to ask yourself, what's in your hand? Are you always carrying on a spear? Now you can justify and say, it's only for my enemies. That spear's only for my enemies. And I only use it justly. You can can make all the excuses you want. The day will come when you'll use it on those that you love. We'll read that in chapter 20. Eventually, Saul will try to spear his own son, Jonathan, to a wall. We've got to make a choice to not be men and women that carry around spears looking for justification to throw at people, but to carry around a harp, to carry the Lord in our hearts, to bless people, to lift people up. All of us have a choice, but only one of those options is being a man or a woman after God's own heart. Saul tries to kill him a few times by throwing a spear, and when that doesn't work, he tries to use the Philistines. He sends them out into battle. Let them kill him. And when that doesn't work in warfare, he remembers, I made a promise to make David my son-in-law. He breaks the promise the first time, but then he finds out that his daughter, Machel, Machel loves David. I can just see her. He's so cute. 
Yeah, he is. I can just see Saul. (laughs) And he says, I got it. She'll be a snare to him. Now that probably means, probably means that he gets this plot in his mind. I'm not going to ask for a dowry. I'm going to ask for a hundred foreskins and the Philistines will kill him because they're not just going to give him the foreskins. You got got to understand? It's not going to be like, oh, what do you need from me? No, no. He's going to have to kill a hundred people to get that. So, 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 Saul thinks this will be a snare unto David. And he kind of knows, hell has kind of a, an attitude, an emotional problem. We'll get to that later. But nonetheless, he sets up this plan. And David just goes out, takes his men, kills 200 men, brings them back, and, has, and Saul has to marry Michal and David. Still after him, though, it brings us to chapter 19, where we see how God sovereignly protects David. You've got to see this. You've got to see this. Because these four ways we see in chapter 19 is exactly how God protects you and me. It's exactly how. Look at it with me. Chapter 19, verse 1. Man, Saul wants to kill David. Saul wants to put David down. But how does God protect him? Number one, by a prince who pleads his cause. Look at verse 1. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and said to all the servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, who's Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, my father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in the secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you, for he took the life of, uh, in his hands and killed the Philistine, and the Lord brought about great deliverance for all of Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then would you sin against innocent blood and kill David without cause? And Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan and Saul, and Saul swore, as the Lord lives he shall not be killed and Jonathan called David and Jonathan told him all these things and so Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in his presence as in past times the first protection provision we see here is a prince who pleads the case to his father Saul gets all of his guys together other than David obviously and says we're gonna kill David Jonathan loves David and says no no dad no we're not gonna do that you're not gonna do those things and Saul goes for for about a week okay let's bring David back into the court now listen 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 I see a parallel in that that we have a prince that pleads our case to his father, who is in no way, no way, no way, in any way like Saul. But please understand this, precious church. Before Jesus, there was a war between you and God. We were sinners in rebellion to God. But what did Jesus do? He became a man. He died on a cross. He paid the price for my sin, your sin, my unrighteousness poured out on him on the cross of Calvary. And as he's done that, what does he now do? First John tells us this. If anyone sins, which we all do, and, 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 and if, you have, if you sin, know this. First John 2, 1 says, we have an advocate with the Father. A defense attorney is what that word means that pleads with the Father. Listen, yes, Jason's a sinner, but I died for him. I took his place on the cross. And that prince pleads for you and pleads for me. And it doesn't take much convincing, no, because God's nowhere like Saul. But the father says, 
Will I forgive Jason? Absolutely, because I love him and I love you. We have a prince that pleads our case, but that's not it. That's not it. Not only did did David have a prince that pleads his case, but secondly, he has a bride who saves his life. Look at verse eight. Apparently, apparently it didn't last long, the truce. Verse eight, and there was war again with David and he went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow and they fled from him. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand and David was playing music on his harp, still there, playing music to the guy in his jammies. Verse 10, then Saul sought, for a, sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into the wall and so David fled and escaped that night and Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Mahel, David's wife, told him, saying, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Mahel let David down through a window and he went out and fled and escaped. And Mahel took an image and laid it in the bed and put a cover of the goat's hair on its head and covered it with clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he's sick. And Saul sent the messengers back to see David, saying, bring him to me that I might kill him. And when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed covered with goat's hair for his head and Saul said to to Michal why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped and Michal answered and said to Saul he said to me let me go why should I kill you so David fled and escaped look at not only does David have a prince in his corner to plead his case but secondly he has a bride to save his life Michal has her issues she does she's got issues She's got issues because her dad says, yeah, let's marry Machel to David and she'll just be a a snare in his side his entire life. That's not a good thing for a dad to say about his daughter, by the way. If that's how you feel about your daughter, your daughter has some serious issues. So she has some issues. Beyond her issues, she's got an idol in her house. She puts an idol in the bed. So she has some issues. But God uses her to save David's life. And I see in that a parallel to our lives as well. What? What are you going to tell us about Christy? No, not about my bride. About us, the bride of Christ. We are protected from the enemy's plans, number one, because we have a prince who pleads our case. But we're also protected by a bride. A bride. We're the bride, the son of David, the church. Friends, the body of Christ can be a tremendous help if you will plug in. What, these guys? These people sitting around me, but they're crazy. They're liars. They're idolaters. So was Machel. So was David's wife. But God uses sinners around you, and guess what? Just like you, to help defeat the enemy in your life. I don't know how many times I have been on the verge of defeat, and I call a brother and say, here's what I'm going through. Would you pray for me? Here's what I'm facing. Would you hold me up? Friends, this idea that you can do this Christian thing on your own is never the way God designed it. How he speaks of the church in the scriptures is a body. A body where every joint does its part and we need one another. Yes, we're sinners. There's no church that's perfect because it's made up of people. But we need one another to pray for one another, to hold one another accountable because you have an enemy that wants to destroy you. But you also, you also have a prince to plead your case. You have a bride as imperfect as she is that can hold your hand through dark times and, 
And thirdly, look at verse, look at verse 18. Look at verse 18. Where does David go next? So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. Not only does David have a prince to plead his case and a bride to protect him, but the third thing we see that David has is a prophet who strengthens his heart. He goes to Samuel. He says, I just need to hear your voice. You showed up when I was just happy watching sheep and writing songs. And you showed up and you poured that oil on my head. And you said, you said, you said I was going to be king over Israel. And yet the real king over Israel is trying to kill me in my own bed. He's my father-in-law and he wants me dead. And Samuel strengthened David. Well, I don't have a prophet to turn to. I hope you're not saying you're a prophet. I can't even get you on your cell phone. I'm not talking about me. I'm not talking about me. I'm not your prophet. No way. But you know what we do have? We got the prophet Samuel writing his heart to us tonight. We have the prophet Daniel and the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Ezekiel and the prophet Jeremiah. Great leaders like Moses and David. I don't know how many times I've been just distressed and I read, I read some of the very same songs David must have sung to Saul and my heart is lifted up. I don't know how many times I've thought, Lord, you promised, you said it. And then I open up the word and he encourages my heart. I have the words of Jesus in the New Testament, men that loved him like Peter and Paul and John. And the... I hope you take full advantage the men that walked and knew God and wrote down the heart right in front of you, you too have prophets to speak to you. It's been often said that a Christian whose Bible is falling apart, their life often isn't, and that's so true. Dig in, friends, dig in. You have a prince that pleads your case. You have a bride, imperfect, sure, but a bride to help protect you and save your life. You have prophets available to talk to, to speak into your life. And, and, and you, like David, also have the Spirit of God to amaze your enemies. Man, look at this. Look at verse 19. Now it was told Saul, saying, take note, David is in Naoth in Ramah. And Saul went messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as the leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul. And they also prophesied. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers. And they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time. And they, they prophesied also. Then he went to Ramah himself and came to the, with a great well that is in, in, in Sikta. And, and, he, and he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, indeed, they're in Naoth and Ramah. And so he went there to Naoth and Ramah and the spirit of God was upon him also. And he went unprophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes, prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all day and all night. Therefore, they said, is Saul among the prophets? That wasn't a compliment, by the way. <laughs> Saul goes, what a dummy. He's just sitting in the city. The city's under my control. I'm going to go get him. So he sends messengers and they show up. Come, David. Ooh, and they just start worshiping and loving God. He sends another group. Same thing. Oh, they just start worshiping and loving God. A third group, same thing. And finally, Saul himself. I'll kill him myself. And then he just does some crazy stuff. <laughs> but he's out of commission. I just read that and I think, 
There's no end to ways that God can protect you. There just isn't. So often, as again, we'll examine this weekend, we just think, how am I going to face this battle? Friend, the most important thing to know is you do not face it alone. You don't. You don't. And the Spirit of God is mighty. I, I remember, so fun to see friends of mine from Paris, Texas here tonight. I remember we were a couple years into the ministry there in our second building, the Williamsburg Shopping Center. I say that for your benefit. No one else knows where that is. But um, we were in that building, and this guy showed up uh, who eventually became a really cool part of our church, but he was from the Paris News, the little newspaper we have in town. And he showed up, and he, he told me later he was looking for things that we were doing because he just couldn't understand why people would leave the great Baptist churches to come to the Williamsburg Shopping Center and sit in this really hot room. And it, it was just a weird place to go to church, at least facility-wise. And he said, there's got to be a reason. You know, he's got to be doing something weird, that weird kid from California. It's got to be weird. And, and he came, and he told me afterwards, he said, I came here to find out what was wrong with Calvary Chapel Paris. And instead, I want to know how to become part of Calvary Chapel Paris. And I walked away from that just saying, Lord, I try to defend you. I try to explain you. And sometimes I just got to let you go and just let you be God in people's lives. And don't worry about it. The God you and I serve, friends, is huge. He's huge. He's huge. And we look at David and we think, how is this possible? He has the promise of God and yet the king wants to kill him because he's got a prince that'll plead his case. He's got a bride that will save his life. He's got prophets to speak to him and encourage him and he's at the spirit of God to confuse and amaze his enemies. And praise the Lord, you and I, who also have a real Saul named Satan, who wants nothing but your destruction, he absolutely does, but you don't have to worry and you don't have to fret because you are not alone. You have a prince in heaven, Jesus Christ, who is praying for you. That's amazing. I don't know how to pray for you a lot of times. I wish I did. You come to me and say, this is what's going on in my life. I don't know. Maybe God wants to go in that direction. Maybe he doesn't. Isn't it great to know there is someone in heaven who knows the direction you're supposed to go in that is praying for you? Pretty awesome. You have a bride around you. Oh, I know we're imperfect. I know we got issues. We all do. So do you. But most people around here, if you check your wallet here tonight, it's still there. Nobody stole it from you. Most people in here are decent folks. And you have a need, they would love to pray with you. They would love to meet you for coffee sometime and just be someone that can be a straight. You need that in your life. We have the prophets, the words of Jesus and the words of his apostles right here to give us strength in our darkest moments. And we have the spirit of God who is greater than he that is in the world by far. Man, take heart and be encouraged tonight. Let's read chapter 20 and we'll be done. Then David fled from Naoth to Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, what have I done? (laughs) What iniquity and what is the sin before your father that he seeks my life? And Jonathan said to him, by no means, you shall not die. My father, my my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. 
Jonathan's, he's clueless at this point. Why should, why should my father hide things from me? It's not so. And David took an oath and said, your father certainly knows that I've found favor in your eyes. And he said, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. And so Jonathan said to David, whatever you yourself desire, I, I will do it for you. And David said to Jonathan, indeed, tomorrow is the new moon. And I should not fail to sit with the king and eat. But let me go, and I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. And if your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there's a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. And if he says thus, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, then be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore, you will deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there's iniquity in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? Jonathan said, far be it from me, for if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come to you, then I would tell you. Then David went to Jonathan and said, um, who, will, who will tell me or what will your father answer will be? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go into the field. So both of them went into the field. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, indeed there is good toward David, then I do not send you and tell you. May the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report to you and send you away that you may go safely. And the Lord will be with you as he had been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live that I may not die for you will not cut off your kindness from my house forever no not even when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth so Jonathan made a covenant with the David the house of David saying let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him and he loved him as he loved his own soul and Jonathan said to David tomorrow's a new moon you will be missed because your seat is empty and when you have stayed three days go quickly and come to the place that you hid by the day of the deed and remain by the stone of Ezel. And I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot to a target. And there I will send a lad saying, go, find the arrows. And if I expressly say to the lad, look, the arrows are on this side of you. Get them and come. And as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you. Go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. And from that matter for which you have spoken of, indeed, the Lord is between you and me forever." So David hid in the field, and when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat a feast. Now the king sat, sat on his seat, and on the other times, in one seat by the wall, and Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, something's happened to him. He's unclean. Surely he's unclean. And it happened the next day, the second day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why is the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? And Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go for our family as a sacrifice in the city. And my brother has commanded me to be there. And now, if I found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not been come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. You don't even want to know what that means in the Hebrew. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, you shall not be established nor your kingdom. Now therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul's father and said, 
Why? Why should he be killed? What has he done? And Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined (laughs) by his father to kill David. He's a slow learner, but he finally gets there. Oh, you do want to hurt David. Okay. Verse 34. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger, ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. And so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David, and the little lad was with him. And he said to the lad, Now run, find the arrows which I shoot. And as the lad ran, he shot the arrows beyond him. And when the lad came to the place where the arrows which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out to the lad and said, Is not the arrows beyond you? And Jonathan cried out after the lad, Make haste, hurry. Do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to the master. But the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, go carry them to the city. And as soon as the lad had gone, David arose from his place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground and bowed down three times. And they kissed one another and they wept together, but David more so. And Jonathan said to David, go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, may the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. For the next two Wednesday nights, we'll look at the next 10 years of David's life as Saul chases him around the wilderness and the just great learning experiences that it was for David and many great lessons for you and me. But Jonathan doesn't see it yet. My my dad doesn't mean evil for you, David says, bet me. (laughs) We'll do this little test, Jonathan. I'm not coming to the monthly celebration feast where I'm supposed to be there as a general. And if he doesn't care that I'm not there, you're right. But if he's angry, if he's angry, you know that I'm right. You tell me. And so he goes, and we read the story. Saul's upset. He throws a spear at Jonathan, his own son. Doesn't make any sense, does it? Why are you not caring about your future? And he tries to kill him. Why do you not care about my future, Dad? (laughs) That's Saul. Saul's got issues. But Jonathan goes out to the field, to the stone of his zeal, which, by the way, means the rock that shows the way. And David sits by that rock that shows the way. And David shoots the arrows and says, the arrows are beyond you, David. My my dad does want to kill you, and it's time for you to flee. As we go our way tonight, I just want to tell you, oftentimes we'll find ourselves at the stone that shows the way. We're going to have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, what is your heart in this? Is your heart that I stay in this situation? Or is your heart that I go? And sometimes God says, stay. I'm teaching you things. I'm developing things in you that can be developed no other way. And sometimes God says, go. There's a new experience I have for you. Something new I want to do in your life. But like we talked about a few few Sundays ago, the reality is I might think I know. You might think you know what is best for your life. But here's the reality. God actually does. So what do you do? James 1, 5. I love that verse. If anyone lacks wisdom, all the time, huh? If anyone lacks wisdom, what do you do? Let him ask of God, who gives, who gives to each one liberally without reproach. Listen, God doesn't always promise to heal you. He doesn't always promise to make you wealthy. But he does promise you need wisdom. You need to know whether the arrows are beyond you or the arrows are in front of you. You need to know that. You come to me. And I'm going to give to you wisdom liberally. I'm not going to hold it back. I'm going to give you wisdom so you can live your life founded upon the rock. 
so important and wise as the Christian, man or woman, that says, God, I want to just stand by the rock that shows the way. Let you lead me and let you guide me into all that you have for me. Father, as we come before you tonight, as we close with a song, I just pray that you would drive some of these lessons deep into our hearts. Lord, the reality is we need you. We face Goliaths and adversaries in our lives, sometimes adversaries of sickness, sometimes adversaries of financial problems or people. Lord, I pray like David, we'd have the proper perspective as we'll look at this weekend, that we will remember how faithful you've been and what evidence that's going to be that you're going to be faithful in the future. And that we would, Lord, trust you, cling to the rock that shows the way and let you lead us and let you guide us. Father, I thank you that there is prince in heaven that prays for us, leads our case. I'm so thankful that you've given us the bride, the body of Christ, as imperfect as we are to encourage one another, to pray for one another. So thankful we have your word, God. Oh, I don't know where I would be without your word. God, help us to find ourselves looking through it, letting your word read our own hearts and lives. God, thank you for your spirit. God, we, are, we can't live this life in the power of our flesh. We need your spirit to go before us, to confuse our enemies, and to bring clarity to our own hearts and lives. God, thank you, thank you, thank you for your word for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.